This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,524, recorded May 12th, 2000. I already had my writings and subject for the night, and just as I was, shortly before I left the house, I'm to pick up a magazine. Small sidebar. Nothing really new, or nothing I didn't know, I should say, but having never seen it in this context, I think you'll enjoy it. At Cornell University, blah, blah, blah. In other words, you know, truly academic, whatnot. Some psychologists, blah, 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 blah. Quoting now from a new paper they've just written. Unskilled and blah, blah, blah. They believe that they're on solid ground here. They have found that in that people tend to be confident, even downright certain that they are smart, funny, and in the right, while people more intelligent, that is what they said proved to be, according to the test, more intelligent people, higher IQs, are the ones who have doubts. But that, that those who are absolutely at the bottom, <laughs> the truly inept, are those most certain, most positive, and not open to hear any disclaimers or hear anything to the contrary. Now, through anecdotal, through your own experiences, I said that can't be news to you because you can probably think immediately, yeah, I've known people that... But now here it is, Cornell, one of the bastions of bullshit, education, <laughs> whatever the hell it is. But here it is, serious academic, statistical proof that the inept are those who are most self-assured. Again, I say it's nothing I didn't know. But it suddenly hit me, as always, the only thing that ever holds my interest over a couple of seconds is if it hits me immediately how this is applicable to me, that is, to an individual. <laughs> is it not? <laughs> and I don't mean, you know, I'm not just leaving it at that. I'm speaking to the, those of us, the kinds of people who believe that they indeed should change what they are, that they can be better, they can be different that indeed they must, that that is the goal to all of this. No one sees any potential application. What is the one thing that is certain in a mystic? I want to awaken. I am not as I can be, and I know that for a fact. Is there anything, maybe I should speak for myself, would always do that in the sense of taking me for a contemporaneous archetype, that if you're not this way, then I say that you're a fake. You're a poor imitation of me. You may be better off. You may be more certain of yourself. <laughs> but hey, check with the people at Cornell. You may feel like, well, I know some of what I'm doing. You just don't get it yet. But at any rate, what if it is those who are the most inept? That part of you that has the least basis for any certitude. Huh? Maybe I was wrong. I figured I'd, that some of you would fall on the floor and have your moment of enlightenment, and I would use that for tonight's sermon. But evidently wrong again. So I'll go ahead to what I wrote. 
which is really the same subject anyway. Uh, the mind is like a dramatist who writes a script that a man then takes to be reality. And after having done so, he will henceforth fail to discriminate between the dramatist and the drama, between the artist and the artwork. Not remembering this is the basis for the special annoyance experienced by the few which drives their hunger for a new mental birth of some sort. The fact that the drama of life does not match up with the script of the dramatist is overlooked by the ordinary, but is the source of what disturbs the few. The most pressing manifestation of this disparity is in the matter of the self, to which men naturally lay claim, but which, upon close examination, proves to be nothing more than an invented character in the script, so long ago composed by your mind, and a fact now long, long forgotten. The drama of the mind, the drama the mind concocts in the reality of life are played out in two altogether different theaters. Uh, well, let me say a few words about that. This is not simply a psychological commentary as far as I'm concerned. They could be taken that way. They could be taken as being... Some of the comments of someone interested in the psychological or the profile investigation of man's so-called psychology. And it's not. I say that you can see it in a way that I stand by. That the mind and everyone, the mind of man collectively, in a truly collective common sense of humanity, and in each person individually, but of course as always, life is doing it but that your mind, man's mind, concocts, it acts like a dramatist. And I repeat one more time, uh, you absolutely waste your time to get involved when I say that it, the mind acts like a dramatist who has composed, who has written a script, which you then play out. You're absolutely wasting your time, truly, if you look into the matter or even give any thought to the matter of, well, that's true, because of my, and then you start going into your background view, because of the way my mother treated me, because of the fact that my father ran away from home, yes, I began, I can see it now, my reaction to it, my emotional reaction was I started writing a script wherein all women are not to be trusted, and I'm still playing that out. You're pitiful if you do that, which I assume none of you will. That is not the point. The mind acts as a dramatist, and it writes a script that men take as reality. And once they do, which everyone does, or you're not sane. You're truly not sane by common consent. But once you take that to be reality, that the script is reality, then after that, for all general purposes, ordinary men never remember this. It becomes just an absolute unknown. No one's aware of it. On a wide scale, it has, I can't resist mentioning it, I'm going to get into the specific individual manifestation, but on a wide scale, how about this? Uh, I, I point out, and I assume you have your own view, that such things as uh, religion, being the great example again, is just an absolute concoction of the mind. And at times... Uh, I point this out for a reason. I don't mean it personally, I'm just making it up, but at times I'm still astounded. In the last two weeks, it seems, two of the major weekly news publications in this country, 
the most powerful, educated, sophisticated country in the world, and the two leading respected news magazines both had cover stories, one of them on hell, the other one on uh, new thinking about the life of Jesus and his crucifixion. I open them up. I know how it goes. The heart of the magazine, the middle four, five, six pages, all kinds of sidebars, but it's taken up. And I glance through it enough to get the headlines. A rethinking, a 21st century reexamination of hell. And I look at that, that and the secret, you know, the new facts about the crucifixion of Je Why did Jesus die? I think it was the... And I look at this and I almost think, you know, am I out of my mind? <laughs> am I absolutely out of my mind? You know, am, I on, am I dreaming that I'm on planet Earth? <laughs> All right, you know how that goes. But here it is. Now, because I found this at one time very useful. Now listen to me. At first, this would sound like a joke, maybe. At first, an ordinary mind would be inclined to dismiss this and say it couldn't happen. It did happen. A man somewhere, and I say a man. Remember, there's no one man. And, but a man sat down one day, picture this, and don't say it couldn't happen. It did happen. It's not a matter of speculation. It did happen, except it did not happen. Just one man did it, and it went from there. That's not necessarily the case. But one man, one day, when I say the mind acts like a dramatist, one man sat down and wrote out this story. Just a simple story that, well, all the bad people in the world, the kind of people that he had emotional thoughts, prejudicial thoughts, that he did not approve of their behavior, like is natural to all men. So it makes the secondary world stay alive. Anyway, so he's sitting there thinking about all the horrible people in the world, and uh, like the king is horrible, his boss is horrible, and yet they're, they're richer than I am. They seem to get by in life. But look at all the... So he writes this story, this drama in his head, wherein after they die, they're punished. Then imagine, you know, what's a great punishment? Getting your foot caught in a fire? So, uh, so he begins to conjure up this idea. So he writes this drama. Let's say he actually sits down and writes this story that the evil king or this evil... You know, capitalist boss when he when he dies after he's mistreated all his poor workers that is this dramatist and when he dies he wakes up in the grave after the grave and he's actually alive again he got a body and he's over in some other world like living up in the clouds except up in the clouds is this horrible place for bad people and this is lake of fire and you burn forever and he goes into some detail and you can't get out it's forever and ever it's not 70 years there is no end to it and you burn and it's like it's like a seed, not just a fire, but it's like melted some kind of metal, maybe. It's like lava. Maybe he'd seen a volcano. And it just churns. And it's this huge lake, and it's filled with all the other mean people like him in the world. And they're just bobbing up and down. You can't even go under and drown and get it over with. You keep coming back up. And it stinks, and these people are screaming and hollering. And maybe you ask, how long does this last? They go, forever. And you go, oh, my God, and you're burning. You think, well, I'll die. I'll pass out. And you never do. And so the guy writes all that, and he lays it aside, and maybe goes and you know, gets a glass of water, and wipes his head, and he comes back and picks it up and reads it, and it's just absolutely just you know, bone-chilling, and just the hair raises on his head. He did it so good. Don't you dismiss this. Not one man, but then the mind of man forgets that he wrote the son of a bitch. You make, I'm telling you, you're missing something if you go, oh yeah, that's cute, or oh yeah, I guess. No, that is. 
and you know it could happen, but you, your mind wants to say, nah, not something that important. <laughs> that is exactly, except it not, by any means, I can't say it's one man happened. I see it. I know it happened. That's exactly what happened, the idea of life after death. And so I bring it up on the basis again that it certainly is easy from anything resembling an objective view to dismiss all religion, amongst other things. It's easy to dismiss the secondary world, but just religion wraps up all of the major illusions into one word I can use. But all of it, heaven, hell, man can write about heaven, about how good it will be if a... At any rate, the script is forgotten. The mind does not discriminate once it has taken this. And you've got no choice. You have to take it as reality, as I said, or you're not sane. You never get going. There's never any chance. You're not, you can't stay in that condition. It's not some idea that if I'd never bought the script, if my parents or somebody had treated me better, or if I'd grown up amongst mystics, I would have never gone to sleep. Shit, you'd have been a retread. You'd have been a blowout. That'd have been the worst thing that could happen to a person. People have tried that in case you don't know. And people that believe that they're struggling to awaken attempt to raise a child and not let him go to sleep. Well, it sounds good if you don't know what you're doing, I guess. But you know, I'll take preventative action beforehand so that the kid won't have to spend his life trying to awaken. I'll just make sure he doesn't go to sleep. And you're going to make sure he gets shot out of a cannon. <laughs> and he won't even have a, a decent life to be, you know, shredded wheat or cornflakes. He won't even be able to, you know, he won't be able to make that kind of living at any rate. You have to take the script. Now, specifically, what the, what the script does is produce this illusionary self, that you are the character in the script. By the way, I've, of late I've been saying illusionary self again, bringing that back up, that term. You know, we have a real self. That's why I can say illusionary self. We have a real self. You have, and it's an instinctive self. And the illusionary self, of course, if I must point out, the illusionary self, of course, is not totally illusionary because it is a product of your instinctive self. It is a reflection of it. It is hamburger that went through the stake of the instinctive self it was ground out but it is an illusionary self and that it is a character that came about in you it is a sensation that came about in you a prolonged sensation that came about in you after the mind has composed this drama that you take as reality that is done first it's not important but that's done first and then you, the character, this, uh, this thing that I am a self, not my instinctive self, you're always that. But the self that people think they are is not your instinctive self. No, it's not. If you're awake, if you were wide awake, if you were whatever the hell that is, if you are permanently and fully awake, enlightened, and liberated, then what you take to be yourself is your instinctive self. But I can put it to you another way. I'm not just trying to torture words, but you do not think that you have a self anymore. You see through it. But the self that you have then, the self that you're aware of, is your instinctive self, which has always been. And you're not dealing with the script of reality. You're dealing with reality. It's not a drama. 
See, everybody knows, as I keep saying, everybody knows what's going on. Your instinctive self knows what's going on. And in one way, I say that everyone's illusionary self knows that they're illusion, that it's each person, they know it's illusionary. Well, ordinary, sophisticated people, the more sophisticated they are, that is, the more that they are living in the illusionary self. That is being sophisticated. That is being civilized, just a matter of degree. But the more you live in that, the more people are inclined, as you know, to comment on how fragile be their self or man's self. They might not say it directed toward themselves, but it is a common comment. Uh, throughout the years, it's not just post-Freudian, but it's been a comment, common comment of educated, sophisticated people running primarily by the intellect, by the yellow circuit, for them to comment throughout the ages about how fragile can be a man's personality. In times past, they'd call it how fragile can be a man's spirit. His spirit can be broken by tragedy in life, by an ill-fated love affair, by the death of a loved one by great reversals of his fortunes in life, that a man's spirit can be crushed. And just over a change in circumstance, a man can be one thing one day, and the next day something else. Nowadays, we would say, the most common term I would imagine nowadays, is would be the observation that people's personality is not as strong as may appear, that each person's personality is actually a, a fairly delicate affair. The less sophisticated, the more somebody lives by the red circuit, the less they are inclined to agree with that, because the less they are uh, inclined to see life in a psychological sense. That is, the more, when you get down closer to the people living primarily by the red circuit, they're the kinds that, if, if they've heard of, nowadays I guess everybody has, but they've heard of Freud and psychology and that, you know, things are addictions, you know, sexual addictions, or that drinks, alcoholism's a disease. The more you get around red circuit people, they have, you know, one fairly common comment, which is bullshit. You know, that's their attitude toward it. And they do not particularly feel that a man's personality is weak. But why is that? Does everybody, surely by now, all of you, I always assume that you're going to love the beauty, that you can look at the beauty of the way things are arranged in life. They can't be otherwise. I mean, there's nobody to compliment. It's not you look up in the sky and compliment life on a job well done. It couldn't be otherwise. But those who have the least personality have the least concern over its fragility because they're closer to essence. You do not find people in trailer parks in Alabama in analysis. You do not find people in trailer parks in Alabama or bricklayers in India, in the Philippines, in Guam. You do not find red circuit people concerned over the fragility of their personality because compared to a Harvard professor, they scant have a personality, as you should know. Well, I don't think any of us are that far from the forests and the jungles, that you don't have an uncle somewhere or a third cousin who is a bricklayer, who is a heavy drinking plumber, drywall man. And you must know what I mean by that. It's not an attack. It's neither good nor bad. It just is. But they have very little in the way of personality. They're not charming. They may not be especially crude. They may not make rude noises at the table. They might. 
But they just, they're not very charming. They're not very personable. They'll speak when spoken to. They usually speak at a minimum. They'll reply with just a minimum amount of words. They're not very nosy. At least the males are not. They don't really care about what the hell's going on in your life. To them, personality is not a fragile thing. But the more that you're living in the yellow circuit, that is, the more you're living, the true focal point is your sense of self. Not the instinctive self, but what I'm calling the illusionary self. It's a thought-based self. It's the self that arises like in a dream amidst thought. And the more you're red circuit, the less your life is tied around thought. The more you're just working from physical instinct. But the more that you are based upon, upon or in the world of thought, in the world of the illusionary self, the, the more concern you have over the fragility and the health of that self. I'm getting somewhere with this, believe it or not. The latter includes, the latter is where most everyone who is listening to me nowadays, uh, that's where you stand. At least it makes more sense to you. That's just where you are. Therefore, your sense of reality is inseparable from this illusionary self. I shouldn't say inseparable. It is naturally your sense of reality naturally flows from this illusionary self, not your instinctive self. Now, always, your sense of reality, if you are sane enough not to kill yourself accidentally, somewhere along the way in life, your instinctive self still has enough prowess for you not to commit slow suicide by breaking a new bone in your body like every week. And by drinking enough to make your liver explode. That you are in touch, so to speak. That your illusionary self has not overridden your instinctive self to a, to a degree that is detrimental to your survival over mutual of Omaha's expected lifetime. But everyone where I was ten minutes ago... I say that everyone has an awareness, even in the illusionary self, that the drama in which this illusionary self is acting, which is not reality, it is a script of reality, this drama, I say men realize from time to time, does not correspond with life as they're leading it. That's when they feel... A man's personality is fragile. That's when people feel as though they may be, for the first time in their life, that they may be about to crack up. People who have never felt they had any problem, that there'll be some great change in the circumstances of their life, such as their wife or husband dies or leaves them or their business fails and they go from you know, making several hundred thousand dollars a year to being on welfare. And they feel as though I'm about to snap. I didn't realize how fragile life is. Or somebody, a very common story, of course, somebody uh, get a diagnosis perhaps of a terminal illness. And boy, does their personality change. Does their illusionary self change. And the first thing they want to grab everybody and tell them at the first chance is about how 
their view of life has changed. That how now this has made them realize what's truly important in life and what's not important in life. As we all know, if you've ever been around, they'll drive you crazy. You think, well, hell, die. <laughs> no kidding. But I'm telling you that people know that anyway. But, well, you know I'm not just making fun. It's just everybody knows that. For somebody to say, well, in a sense, I'm, you know, this has been a blessing. I mean, now because now that I've, I may only have a few short time left, it makes me look at my children, my wife. It makes me look at this one. It makes me look at the sun every morning and think, how beautiful it is. I used to think that my Mercedes was beautiful. I used to look at my Rolex each morning and think how beautiful. But now, now I understand what's really important. Hell, everybody knew what was important. Except, except when you are living, when you are, when you are operating. Well, ordinary people live by it. I was going to refine it for our use. But when you're living and not illusionary self, and not illusionary self, when you take your thoughts to be you, which is synonymous with being asleep, when you do that, then that self pretends that your reputation is important, that getting ahead down at the office is important. But then your instinctive self, if it is brought to bear, such as someone, a doctor tells you, you're dying. And information from the illusionary self, of course, the instinctive self wouldn't have known it had it not been for your illusionary self, had it not been for us being conscious, for us being able to think, then no one could have... Anyway, no one would know what Gruber's syndrome was. Nobody would be trained to spot it. Nobody could tell you you've got Gruber's syndrome and you'll die in six months. And then you couldn't have heard that. And then your instinctive self... By the way, you can't keep that kind of thing hid. So your instinctive self will finally, it learns things. It gets information. So at any rate, then that puts a shock into the illusionary self. But I say that people know that. Now, you know they don't act like it. We all know that the world is, is mostly six billion people living a life. But... If you ask them or give them any opportunity to describe their life, to comment upon their life, they're commenting upon this script. And the script does not correspond to life. No one's does. But it's only when, and it just varies from person to person, of course. It's not important. But it's only when something astounding happens that in their life it is an anomalistic occurrence. That is, it's not often that somebody tells you you're going to die. Or it's not often that your wife leaves you. It's not often that one of your children die in an accident. And so it is, the occurrences have to be of an extraordinary nature. That's why I say anomalistic. It has to be far out of the ordinary to shock an ordinary person into that sense of, well, it's, it's just a sense of acknowledgement that the life I think I lead, the life that to me I do lead, Ordinarily, that I did before the doctor told me I was dying, or before my child was killed last week in a car accident. Before that, that life I led, I took to be, or then they have to come up with other terms. They say, I took it to be a proper life. I, I thought it was important. I thought it was important now to work every weekend, even though I didn't see my children much. I thought it was important to get ahead and have money in the bank to send them to college. I thought, that was, I thought it was important to live in a good neighborhood so my kids would be proud of me. But now, that my 15-year-old son has been killed 
You know, to hell with that. Now I realize that's not important. Now I wish I'd spent more time with him. I wish I'd just taken a lesser job so I could have been home on the weekend. That's not news. That's not awakening. That's an explanation. That's a man going, ow. That's his, that's his realization. It's him having to face up to the fact that the life that we lead normally does not correspond to the script. What it does, specifically to people like us, I put it in words, I say people like us, as always, I'm dragging you along. If you keep showing up, then evidently, you, you either, this is true to some degree with you, or else you're just amazed to hear me talk about it, and I, and I must appear to be a specimen from another planet. I'm beginning to wonder more and more about that, if you don't know the truth. Because I, maybe I should be trying to pick on people since I quit. But I look around, you people out of town, I can't include you necessarily, but I look around here at night, and sometimes I have an impression, a fairly distinct one, that many of you don't do a damn thing, that you don't make any effort whatsoever to do anything. You just come here and listen to me, and that you don't do anything, and it's in a sense you leave it to me, to him and haw and huff and puff for all of us. And it seems like to you, evidently, not only do you find this entertaining, at the very minimum, but you may feel as though you're making progress. But some of you, I'm fairly well convinced, you don't do a damn thing. And so if you feel like you're making progress, you know what it is? You feel like you're making progress off my back. And remember, I say feel like, because hell, I'm not even making progress. So look what an illusion it is if you think you're making progress. But I say, that's my joke, that I died for your sins, or I die for your sins every day. If you believe that, you're an idiot. I don't even die for my sins. It's not possible. You're not sinning. You're stupid. I mean, for people like us, there is no sin. There's just stupidity. There's ignorance. There's confusion. There's believing. There's living as though this illusionary self is me. My thoughts are me. That's why you're confused. The whole world's confused. But see, as long as something doesn't snap them out of confusion, you literally, an artist forgets. The man who wrote this, the first theme about hell, this pit of fire, and goes on for pages and details, and it's just horrible. He walks away from it. He goes to bed. He wore himself out with such a work of art, and gets up the next day and reads it. I repeat one more time. You are missing it if you say this does not happen. This is exactly what happened. He gets up the next day. That is humanity. And it takes a string of next days. But humanity, the, the author of that description of hell... In detail, he gets up the next day and reads it, and he is scared out of his pants. And he begins to preach to people. I know, it's, boy, you won't snigger the first time you think about it, but he is out on the street that day preaching to people about, straighten up. Don't live as you live. Do you know what will happen? And people go, no. And he pulls this out, and he just begins to describe hell, the punishment after you die. And people go, what? I never heard of that. And he said, yes. And he describes it. He rereads it. He's already forgotten that he wrote it. That's, I guess it's, it's kind of amusing. But he forgot he wrote it. Humanity forgot that they wrote it. And other people hear it, and they get caught right up. Of course, they, they wrote it as much as he did. The audience is his response. But you understand, life did it to start with. 
you're doing the same thing. And I say, all the confusion, whatever you think, whatever be your description about whatever it is you don't like, assuming, I begin to wonder whether any of you are really concerned or whether all of you. That's why I was saying, when I say, well, that's what's annoying about to the few like us. And I get a distinct impression that some of you are not annoyed, never have been particularly annoyed. And I have to think, well, am I that entertaining? And I think, well, I can't be the words, you know, surely, finally. It's like hearing just a handful of songs played over and over. I just have to keep changing the titles of the songs and the melody a little bit. And I think, well, maybe, it's not, maybe that's not what's entertaining. Maybe it's just ordinary people, and they're looking at me. Maybe it's like a specimen in a zoo, and I don't realize it. <laughs> and I talk about how it is for the few and the mystics. And that I'm the only one in the world, and you people just show up, and you look, and you've got, God is curious. It's like, you know, you've never seen a baboon before. You know, hanging by his tail, and he scratches his ass, and he points, you know, his ass is purple and green. And he talks about, you know, how our asses are purple and green, us kind of people like us mystics. And as far as you're concerned, your ass is not purple and green. You're not asleep. It's just interesting, you know, kind of, I'm a curiosity. Of course, you say that's not possible. Remember this. I don't say anything's not possible. That is possible. Of course, I wish it was because then I'd be more awake than even I. Anyway, it'd be good. If that was true, if there was some way I could know that was true, that would be my birthday. That would be my, finally, a birthday. That'd be my present. But see, if it was true, I've got no way of knowing it. And you might think that you do, but you don't. It would seem like you would know it more, but you couldn't tell me. There's, there's no way to know it. Of course, that's back to what I told you Wednesday night. I'm telling you that what drives the desire to awaken, the search for enlightenment, all of it, I'm telling you what drives it from the beginning, from Alpha to Omega, from one end of the universe to the other, is the fact that there's one thing that is not, that is not possible to ever understand. There's one fact. There's one thing that you could never understand, and that's what drives this. But, I was going to say, mention several things, that when you take the illusionary self, when you take the thoughts that you have to be you, you accept, you know, the self, which I say again, if you turn and look at it, if you just try to look and see what's going on, there is no self there, and... That's about all I care to say. You either do it and you've got to feel for what I'm saying or not. Because you, there's no way that you could ever get an ordinary person, a person not trying. They could say they're listening to you. But without some sort of weird genetic wiring, which I say is the basis of all the people like us. And, of course, now I'm beginning to think that when I say all the people like us, you, you're, you're looking at me like still a specimen. Like, God, have you ever seen a moth like that? Have you ever seen a, <laughs> a simian? He says, like us. And you're all kind of punching each other in the ribs like, like us. <laughs> but see, I could explain that if I was one of you. Then I'd think, well, it must be hell to be the, you know, the only one of your kind on a planet. And so I guess it makes him feel better to go, some of us. And you just don't want to you know, finally tell me, like, I'm nothing like that. Because <laughs> you think, well, God, I bet that'd be heartbreaking. So I should appreciate you probably just because you people are kind-hearted that you've never <laughs> told me that. <laughs> if you operate, if you continue to accept this self, if you don't look and see that it's not there, and that, that term, I agree, if it bothers any of you, 
that description. It is so lacking, and there is no butter. That's why I don't dwell on it. I just keep saying it's illusionary self, and mainly let it go. But if you try and look, it's not there. But see, that doesn't work with an ordinary person, what I started to say. But if I told an ordinary person, what, do you have a self? And they go, yeah. And I go, well, I say it's illusionary. And they go, really? And I go, I'm serious. I've been studying this matter. Just look right now. Just right now or any time tomorrow. Just start looking throughout the day when you're thinking about yourself, maybe even talking about yourself. Just stop and try and turn your attention inside and see if you can find a self. It's not there. And they would try it right then, let's assume. But they thought, okay. And they try it. And it doesn't work. Because it seems to be a self that will look and go, well, let's see if there's a self. There's no way out of it for an ordinary person. There's no way that I'd try to tell them. And there's no way I'd really see profitable for me to try and fool you or to force you into it. If you just, you just look and you finally realize there is no self there, even when I think, well, I'm looking for myself. It's you thinking. It's me saying, all right, look and see. So you think, all right, I'll look and see. And you'll have some sort of thought about, well, I'm looking, but he's right now. I don't see anything. I mean, there's not a self in there. There's not a little. But all of that you take as being self, all of thinking about it. You're a dead man. Well, you're a dreaming man. So that currently popular term it was, dead man walking, of going down to the, it's a dreamy man walking. It's a dazed man walking. Operating from... An uncritical acceptance that that is yourself results. And let me just arbitrarily say a couple or maybe three things that have specific effect. You take that voice in your head to be there. You take that voice as being you, which is another way. Uh, maybe I'll do it next week. Uh, well, I could even say that's one of the manifestations. Let me say that. I'll put it to you that way. Let me say there there are four. There are four results from taking, for accepting that you are you. Or as I'm saying, that this illusionary self is actually you. There, remember, there's. I'm saying that on the basis, remember, comparably speaking, we each of us has a real self. It's just what you physically, instinctively, genetically, it's what you are, whatever the hell it is. And there's no describing it. Close you come and say, well, you're male and you're not too short and you're not too fat. And you're green or purple, you have long hair. You know, so what? That didn't say anything. So but that's it. There is no describing what you what your real self is. But see, that's part of the to us, that is part of the problem. That is part of the trout, because the illusionary self does nothing but what? Come on, tell me. Describe itself. That's all it does. Or as I put to you last time, whether it made sense, I put it sort of poetically, I thought. You know, talk about self, dice, have a self. I assume you all understood what I meant. That is, as long as you talk, that is, and think about yourself, you've got a self. That's the problem. That you can't tell an ordinary person, you can't tell a mind under ordinary conditions, you don't exist. Because of my go, okay, I'll consider that, let me see. And I go, all right, look and see if you can find yourself. You're all right. Which I could suggest seven or eight hundred years ago, the story was given out. It was one of those Zen stories of a guy that had been studying with some teacher that played on the fact about the mind and that that was the whole thing. And he came to him and he says, Well, 
I still don't get it. I still can't calm my mind. I can't look into my mind. I, I, I can't grab it and see what it is. And the guy said, all right, you've been a good student. You've been here, what? The guy says, 40 years. And he said, all right, here's what I'll do. You lay your mind out here on this desk, and I'll straighten this damn thing out once and for all. I'll show you what it is. The guy said, well, I can't find it. He said, okay, task accomplished. And of course, that's what the guy had been saying to himself for 40 years. But when the story works, then it was supposed to say that then the guy said, well, put it out here, and I'll finally, I'll open that thing up. I'll, I'll stop it, I'll comment, and I'll show you exactly what it does. The guy said, well, I, I can't find it. He said, mission accomplished. In those stories, of course, then the guy it should have said, and then he had his enlightenment. Because that's what it is. Because if you do, then you've seen to the bottom of things. But back to where I was. If you take it as being you, uncritically, if you do not look into it, if you don't have the ability, if you don't try, and I don't by any means say that you look once. You know, I assume decades. It took me decades. As always, I trust you will do better. But if you accept that as being yourself, just new, and you, you don't have to think about it. If you don't do otherwise, if you don't make any contrary effort, you take it as being you. It's not like something that you accidentally do. It's what I've described as when you're conscious. That's when you become you. That's when you cease being a little a walking turd factory and slobbering machine, and you suddenly become a little personality that your family, well, that's when it happens. It has results. And I'll make it four that have specific significance to people like us or people like me and then attendees at the zoo like you people. So I assume, since you find my descriptions of my own inhuman condition interesting, I assume you find this interesting. And don't throw peanuts. You're not supposed to feed me. Science says so. Here's the four things that come readily. If you take that self, that illusionary self, that self that is nothing but the thoughts passing through your mind, if you take that as being you, here are four specific things that have significance to us. Is that will cause you to give reasons where none exist. It will make you give descriptions. It will make you give explanations of things where none exist. It will make you hear a voice speaking when there is none. And what it really does, which is the wrap-up, the fourth thing, what it really does is it makes you believe that you are exercising control. When control is not a part of your vocabulary. Control of your life is not part of the reality. It's a part of the script. But I'm telling you, that drama is played in one theater. But you walk right down 42nd Street, next door, down the block, according to various from person to person, and it's down the street is where it's being performed the life you lead. But it's in another theater, a completely different theater, that the drama that the mind wrote, the script, 
is being played. And in that theater, a character in a play, hell yeah, he can believe that he's in charge of his life. I assume you can jump right quick back and forth between what is truly metaphor. I can't say it's not, except right next to it is the reality behind what I'm saying. Is a character in a play. If a character in a play had his own free will, if he had his own free mind outside the character, which you can't, but if he did, do you understand what I'm saying? This is a character in a play. Sort of a, a glorified, well, a, a true manifestation of Shakespeare's notion about we're all players. But if we could suddenly stop Hamlet, or if we could jump in Hamlet's mind, the guy, a guy's playing Hamlet. This is so beautiful to me, I don't know whether any of you is going to get it. No offense to you, but it's very... If we could jump some way in his mind... And say, are you in control of what you're doing? The character would say yes. The guy playing the character, does anybody get it? Well, he would, yes. But you know why? It's because he has absolutely no freedom and it is completely scripted. But you understand how you could say just or think, believe, say just the opposite? But... It never happens. Just the opposite to the opposite happens. As I brought up on several occasions over the years, uh, when even I would use the, bring up the term, I would always say, deny that I was referring to predestination, that sort of thing, because if you're going to say that, you have set up the possibility of it being otherwise. It's like worrying about whether you're confused or awake. As long, as long as you're worried about one of the two, as long as your vision is left that I'm either enlightened or I'm not, well, there you are. You know, to perfect enlightenment is to be way beyond that, really. But, uh, at any rate, I shouldn't worry about just you people, but forget the idea of predestination. That's exactly what anybody's mind would come to. It won't bring this up. And I've never said that. I'm not saying... I'm not going to say anything other than what I'm saying, because I can't say it anymore. It just, trust me. But a man who believes that he is in control of his life, that he's in charge of his life, is simply asleep. The man, may I say this, is severely ill-informed about the nature of reality. May I leave it at that? May I invite you and your, obviously your obvious intelligence, to simply take a peek at the matter. Just give it some consideration, what I'm saying, and I think it will be clear to you. And you do not need words, once you said, words such as free will or predestination are simply, you might as well be children doing some sort of skip rope chant. But I say that a man who believes, and when I say a man who believes, this is a illusionary self. But a man who believes that he is exercising control, that he is in charge of his life, that he is captain of his fate, is, I believe that I'm safe in saying this, he is severely misinformed. Now, I'll leave it to your intelligent consideration.
just take a peek or so in the matter, and you'll we'll see for yourself. But when you're in that illusionary self, it must be so. May I point out to you this way? I would say to you that the major purpose of the illusionary self is that it serves as a focal point around which men weave their dreams that they are in control of their life. It is how men manage to survive and to tolerate living in and what I usually refer to as a secondary reality, it is, this, it is the script, it is the drama that the mind writes of reality, which does not correspond. As I also put it to you, whether you, whether you and I are from the same species or not, I say that from one view, that is at the basis of what disturbs people like us, that would be mystics, is that the disparity between Everyone else's descriptions, reasons, explanations, their scripts of life is so far removed from our view, from the reality of life, that we can never accept it. It doesn't mean we're better, it doesn't mean we're smarter, but it is a fact. That is one of the absolute views, which I used to warn people. You know, to watch out that it was easy to become cynical, to become a smart ass. In fact, uh, most of the people, or many of the people that I have found throughout the years, throughout this lifetime, who can catch some of this, certainly have the propensity to be a smart ass. And I assume that all of you are familiar with the term, it takes one to catch one. So I am familiar with that kind of attitude, but the world is also, the ordinary population is filled with would-be comics. Professional and otherwise, and those who are perhaps can get a laugh out of you and those who can't. But the world is full of critics. We would need more theaters to hold critics than we would actors. So that's why I say everyone has at a certain level, people have an awareness that reality does not fit the words that men use to describe reality. It does not fit the script. It does not correspond but that is simply the nature of secondary reality, as I used to call it. That it's simply there. That if you're living in a group of a, in some area where everyone's a Catholic, where everyone is an Italian, where everyone believes that they're a socialist, where everyone's a Buddhist, at any rate, if they believe that, that's their secondary reality. That's, let's say it's a large part of their secondary reality. And if you're there, then there's no reason amongst ordinary people there's no reason and it does not happen for people for ordinary people to become concerned that do you realize that the teachings of the church bear no relationship to life i mean that simply does not happen or if it does here and there then you know simply that that particular group if it's catholics they say or if it's christian whoever it is they say well he's drifted from the religion or maybe if it's bad enough he's had a nervous breakdown the forces of evil are dickering with him in other words, they find it to be anomalistic. That the secondary reality, if you're living amongst Italian Catholics, is to be Catholic. And if you're living amongst socialists, is to be a socialist. It's simply, that's it. But I say, that oh, it's a, if you're outside of it, if you have no interest, it's easy to be critical. It's easy to laugh. It's easy for a, 
you know, a capitalist to laugh at a communist and say, well, look at it. What you're trying to do doesn't work. What you describe, what you say is, is the life that you're leaving. What you say is the society that you're building. Look at it. It's a joke. But it's not a joke to them if they're living in it. I say, the point I was making was that everyone accommodates. The six billion people, they accommodate themselves. They're supposed to. It's just people like us who call it a dream. You know, I'm not out. I see absolutely what it is. But you know damn well I'm not out on street corners. I'm not trying to convert anybody. That's not what it's about. I couldn't. But it's not, it's not that people are wrong. They have accommodated themselves. They're supposed to. We're the misfits. Or maybe it's just me. That the disparity that everyone in a sense sees when you're a kid. That's a small, that most kids go through that kind of little stage. I've pointed out in, from a different direction before. But it's very common for children to go through that stage of pointing out that the king, that the emperor has no clothes. As it finally got wrapped up in the story of kids pointing out, you know, before they learn to keep their mouth shut. But if kids, you know, noticing, uh, well, Papa, you, were, you say that I should go to church and listen to the preacher. He says, don't drink, and you're drunk every night. I shut up. That kind of thing. That's pulled out a crude example. But you, everybody else accommodates themselves to it. It's neither good nor bad. It's, it's just the way it is. That is secondary reality. You must accommodate yourself to it. You have to. Or else you end up like us, or I guess crazy. When they say what's important, you know, how you vote, it's important that we either support or that it's important that you have an opinion. It's important that you have an opinion about politics or about morality. No, it's not. And I said, if you're at all awake, you know it's not. It's not unimportant, but it's not important. It's important to take a stand. It's important that you have beliefs. It's, it's important, you know, that you be. There is nothing in the secondary world that's important. And, of course, that's relative. If you live in the secondary world, it is important. That's the whole thing about talk about a self, have a self. And if you talk about a self, if you believe you have a self, it is important. People will fight for themselves to protect their honor. I mean, you've got to die for something, but Jesus. <laughs> to die for your... I was disrespected. Well, we can laugh at it. But you understand, it is literal. There are people right now being murdered over someone. They, they're murdering someone who disrespected them. They've been doing it individually. They've done it collectively for the history of humanity. But this is not instinctive. It is, is not from the instinctive self. It's from the illusionary self. But at any rate, I was saying, proposing to you, that people like us really arise out of the fact that we never accommodate ourselves over the disparity. And that's just a fine line between becoming a you know, sore head and a red ass and you know, just an angry old man, angry young man. Usually, you get over that, you just become an old fart, an old drunk or something. But at any rate, if some way you get through it all, like going crazy and becoming a drunk and a terminal smart aleck, you do see that the, the, the secondary reality, that I didn't just make up that term to have something to talk about, you can just see it. It's amazing. It's almost as good as the experiences, those extraordinary experiences of so-called being in the state of being awake. It's to look around 
But if you're in yourself, if you're if you are your illusionary self, you can't see it. But if you can stop it, at anywhere, anywhere you are in life, just wherever you are, is just look out at life. And there is like this secondary reality, as I've described, it's like floating just a few inches off the ground. This is, of course, metaphorical to describe the difference between our instinctive selves. But just a few inches off the ground, or if you prefer, it's like a cloud that starts at the neck and it goes around the planet. And from the neck up, everyone is living in a secondary reality. It's tied to the first reality. It arises from it. And for life to be as it is today, it is necessary. I've got no complaint with it. I'm not bad-mouthing it. But that is the problem that people like us have, is that the two are played in two different theaters. And it takes an illusionary self. It takes a sleeping self. It takes a deluded mind. It takes a confused mind. All of the terms that I've used and that you've heard somewhere else, it is that self, it is that part of our mind, it is that part of our awareness living in that secondary reality that is scripted. It is a drama that the mind made up. Again, life made it up. But it comes out through man's mind, and man decided there is education. I'll invent Cornell University. Ah, and I'll even invent Harvard when I have time. I'll invent honor. I'll invent integrity. I'll invent morality. I'll invent living the good life. I'll invent... He's going to go on and on and on and then walk away from it and come back the next day and read it and go, my God, I had no idea that life was like this. They show it to other men. They go, well, now we know what's going on. Is it really like that? Well, it says so here. And their own mind goes, he's right. That drama is not the life you lead. It's not the life anybody leads, but they are so... Secondary reality is composed of the two being taken as so intertwined as to be inseparable. That's what I say is being asleep, no matter what other mystics have called it. I'm telling you, that's what it is. But it's to be normal. All you've got to do is realize it. All you've got to do is see it and be able to remember it. That's all there is to it. And realize that that script is not reality. And that which runs the script, that which is playing the drama out in your head, is not you, unless that's all there is to you. And if it is, then that's you. There's no way out. But if you see it's not, well, if you see it's not, don't mention it, because then it is. See, that's the problem. You can't say, nah, I got it. No, you don't. But I had it. Well, okay, but as long as you realize you don't have it now. Darn. Well, I had a, so much more to say, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, I do, but you ought to be thankful that the hour is up. I had something worse than mine. I had something better than mine. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com, where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest, or just leave us a message.